Ivory trade damages livelihoods. Fuels corruption. We can't all be saved by a rhino, but we can all help save them. What if you could see how shark fin soup is made? Could you still eat it? Peter Knights is one of the biggest names in wildlife conservation and advocacy, and his passion for animals is boundless. He began his life's work as a wildlife trafficking investigator. Now, as a founder and president of WildAid, an organization that focuses on lowering the killing of wildlife by lowering the demand for the animal products it creates, Peter is embracing the urgent message of, when the, the buying stops, stops the, the killing, killing can, can too. too. Among the roster of A-list celebrities who triumph this message are action movie superstar Jackie Chan, basketball hero Yao Ming, Prince William, soccer legend David Beckham, Leonardo DiCaprio, Lupito Nyong'o, and the list goes on. So Peter, thank you so much for being with us today. What made you decide to go this route? Did you always have a passion for wanting to save animals? Or just enjoy the Not challenge? really. No, no, no. I think, um, I mean, I left university. I had an economics degree. Most people went into the city and made lots of money. So I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have my life, my work, all be about making money. And so I wanted to see if I could try and change the world a tiny bit. Ultimately, I think the reality that's, you know, hopefully starting to dawn on us more and more with things like COVID is we're all interconnected. And there's only one planet. You know, this is the only place with life we know of, and we're going to get our act together, you know, to not destroy that. Your scope of work is tremendous. There are so many organizations in wildlife conservation right now, but you're the only ones making a difference in the demand. Most people in conservation are biologists, right? So it's a different, different thing. And I think a lot of people probably get into it to avoid people, frankly. Um, it's, you know, it's all about the people. It's not about the animals. I mean, right. the animals are going to just do their thing. It's about human behavior. And so if you don't address human behavior, you're not going to solve it. And I think we've seen with drug trafficking, you know, I think it's now probably up to like $30 trillion have been spent yeah. trying to suppress drug trafficking. But, you know, very little has been done to try and stigmatize the use. A lot more, I think, could be done. For example, you know, if you're buying cocaine, you're basically funding murder in Mexico. I mean, it's just the reality of it. And that sort of type of approach, rather than the constant draconian attempts at enforcement, which clearly haven't worked, you've got to do a bit of each of it. And so the key thing in wildlife is that you need good wildlife enforcement. You need the law, good laws. You need penalties. You need people being arrested and all that. But it's about the public awareness, attaching a stigma with the consumption. Traditional conservation has been all about sort of supply side, on the ground, anti-poaching, protect the animals. And what we really brought to the equation was this idea that you can only deal with the wildlife trade problem at the source, which is the demand for the animal products. And so we worked a long time in Asia trying to change attitudes and opinions towards wildlife. So rather than having a generation of, of young Asians that are brought up as wildlife consumers, um, actually people that care about conservation. So whether it was shark fin soup consumption, rhino horn consumption for medicine, elephant ivory as a prestige item, we had to kind of make those products no longer attractive and instead make people aspire to help in conservation worldwide. Some people call this a souvenir. Send me a selfie instead. Hi, I'm Jackie Chan. I play many roles. But I will never be a villain to wildlife. That's a huge focus. So how are you doing that? So it's about changing attitudes and opinions. And the way we've done that is to really bring in some of the top opinion leaders from each of these countries we've worked in. People like Jackie Chan, Yao Ming, the basketball player, really iconic people to be the messengers to convey what's going on and persuade people to change their habits and, and change their opinions. 
So how in the world do you find these people? With Jackie Chan, there was a, a bit of serendipity, I call it, where I wrote him a letter. And when I actually got to meet him and we had a long conversation, we'd been speaking for like a week and he's like, well, pretty certain I want to do this, but I have a question. When you sent me the letter, how did you know that very day I was filming with elephants and rhinos? And I said, well... Jackie, I didn't have a clue, but you know what? That's fate. We're supposed to do this together. He said, that's a good yes. answer. I'm in. And we've been working together for 25 years ever since. And he's just done message after message for us, been hugely influential. And he influenced a lot of the other celebrities to come on board. They're like, oh, Jackie Chan's done it. Okay, so we can do it. And so, you know, we have about 200 Asian celebrities that have joined after Jackie Chan did. What was the first campaign you did with an influencer or celebrity? Without the Jackie Chan first public service announcement. Here's this animal, tigers, for example. A beautiful tiger. Bang, tiger gets shot. There's the products, the bones and the skin that are sold. So very simple visually. This is what's happening. Originally, when we went to the TV stations in Asia, oh, we can't show that hard image of a tiger being shot. But when we had Jackie Chan introducing it, they were like, oh, oh, Jackie's, okay, that's fine. And so Jackie was kind of the sugar coating to the pill to get the image over. And Jackie was like, you have to show people the film of the tiger being shot or the, the shark being dragged out, thrown into the water with no fins. He said, you have to show people those hard images because that's what will make them change. And he was absolutely right. And it is a powerful driver to actually get the behavior change you want. So you were able to get the Chinese media to give you so much airtime, if you will. How did you do that? Well, with the Chinese media, we worked towards the Beijing Olympics in 2008. And we actually got over 20 gold medalists to do messages, very high quality messages, things like people grabbing a, a, a CGI bullet just before it hits a tiger. Um, we had swimmers caught in, swept up in nets in a swimming pool, quite fancy, um, beautiful ads. And we tied it in with the Olympics. And we were promoting the Olympics at the same time as promoting conservation. The 2008 Beijing Olympic Games was obviously China's coming out party. It was like, really, we've arrived on the world stage. And we were lucky enough to have Jiao Ming, who carried the flag. We also had um, a gentleman called Li Ning, who was the guy that ran around the stadium. If you remember when they opened the stadium, a guy ran around yes. on the trapeze thing. That was one of our people. And the people playing the piano, Lu Huan, was also one. And just right before the Beijing Olympics, they all stood up and said, we're not eating shark fin soup anymore. For those listeners who don't even know what shark fin soup is, so it's a tradition, correct? It's been around since uh, hundreds of years, and it was a dish that the emperor ate. So it wasn't like everyone in China was eating shark fin soup. There's a very small number of people. But the thing about shark fin soup is that it's not so much that the sharks were so rare and endangered, it's that the preparation takes an awful long time. So you, you catch the shark, you have to kind of dry the fin out, and then you have to soak it again, and then you take the skin off, and then you dry it again, oh. and then you take the flesh off, and then you dry it again. And so it's a very convoluted process to get there. And even the cooking, I've been told sometimes they cook it for 24 hours. And as a Chinese friend of mine said to me, if you cook my belt for 24 hours, you could eat it. Um, and the shark fin itself <laughs> is really, it's basically protein, but it, it, it's, it has a texture. So it has no flavor at all because they actually bleach any possible flavor out of it. It's purely the texture. And it's kind of like a vermicelli or a noodle that has a kind of a crunchy element to it, I'm told. Okay. Um, but having said that, you know, there is a melon that has a very similar texture. And people now make fake shark fin soup, which tastes exactly the same because every other ingredient is the same. So there's, there's no need for it. I'm very well aware of how they fin shark fin. Mm. But can you tell our listeners what they do? Most shark meat is unpalatable. It has very high urea content and it tastes awful. And so most sharks have not been hunted for food. And yet you will catch them when you catch them like tuna on a long line. So I've seen long lines set for tuna where you actually have three sharks for every tuna caught. Oh, wow. Bycatch. 
And what they'll do is they'll take that shark and they'll just lop the fins off because they can't sell the meat and it might spoil the rest of the meat, takes up too much hold space, and just take the fins. Okay. And sometimes that's even done live and actually before, you know, the animal's literally hooked out, fin, 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 right. chuck it back in again. Right. And it drowns or it dies. So it's a hugely wasteful practice. And we're taking that, some estimates, 100 million sharks a year. But by doing very high quality production, and having top stars about the cause. It's all about the slogan, which is when the buying stops, the killing can too. Yes, I love that. It it resonates so deeply within me. And that's what we've been able to do. Shark fin soup, 83% down, the imports of shark fin to China. The price of ivory is down by 75, 80%. Same with rhino horn, even though there's bans. So the supply has been restricted, but the price has gone down. And that means you've really impacted the demand. And it was simply because people didn't understand. They didn't know. You can't care about something you don't know about. Right. So once people knew the rhinos were all getting slaughtered, there's only many left. And a lot of people thought, well, that, that really sucks. I don't want right. to be part of that. And very often we found it was the grandchildren telling the grandparents, okay. you can't do this anymore because this is our rhinos and you're taking them away. And that has, I think, proven to be very powerful. And last year, for example, um, you know, we got $308 million worth of donated media space. Billboards all over the country, thousands of billboards. Yes. TV coverage, social media, etc. So the media just really got behind it and they were like, this is something which we care about. Over the years, Peter has built a roster of A-list celebrities who are helping transform the way the message of animal advocacy is delivered. Tune in to part two to learn more about how Wild Aid can attract such big name stars and free advertising while delivering terrific results. To learn more about Wild Aid, go to wildaid.org. I'm Laurie Hood. Thanks for watching. For more information, go to aliquad.org backslash podcast. And be sure to check out the video versions on Laurie Hood's Difference Makers YouTube channel.